Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Our sermon passage this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. Hear the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any, if any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for, for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be holy and acceptable in your sight. Enliven us by your Spirit to understand this word that is given to us this morning. Increase in our minds understanding of this word, but also increase our faith. We know that all the scriptures are so that we might believe. And I pray that this morning our faith would increase, that our love and desire, not only for Christ, but for one another, would increase. And that we would grow in unity together in the bond of of the spirit of peace. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Now the Christian life is one that is spent for the sake of God and for the sake of the brethren. Remember this is the sum of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is the Christian life. That is the sum of the Christian life. All that we do and say should be toward that end, toward that purpose of loving God and loving neighbor. And the reason for this is found in a simple verse in Deuteronomy chapter 10, which says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with with all that is in it. Indeed, the heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. Everything belongs to God. Moses goes on to say that God administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, because of this, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. This all stems from the fact that that heaven and earth belong to God. 
Everything is the Lord's, and he dispenses of his possessions liberally to his people. He loves those who fear him, and he serves those who lack. Therefore, because of this, because of who God is, we ought to do the same. Because this whole world, and even the heavens, belong to God. They only belong to us because we belong to Christ. And this means that the purpose of all these good gifts from God is for the edification of others, not the indulgence of our own desires. What we eat, what we wear, and do and say should be to strengthen the conscience of those around us. Now we can often think of that um, if, if our own conscience is not bothered by what we do or say, we can think that that those around us need to be okay with what we're doing. Our conscience is not pricked by whatever, whatever uh, thing you're engaging in, so everyone else should be fine with that. We must follow our consciences wherever they permit. But the conscience Paul is worried about here is not the conscience of the individual, not the individual choosing to eat the meat or to do as he sees fit, but the conscience of the one around him, the conscience of even the unbeliever, the conscience of the Jew and also the church. When he says to do something for conscience sake, it is the conscience of the other that he has in mind. Because all things belong to the Lord, they are to be used for the salvation of others. That is what love does. Now the phrase, the phrase that he uses here, all things are lawful, is being used for the second time in this letter. If you remember back in chapter 6, he uses this phrase as well. And he uses this phrase in the context of sexual immorality and lawsuits. Now, it may be lawful for, for someone to sue his neighbor, but if he is a Christian, it will not edify. Right? It is lawful for you to have sexual relations and desires, but that must be done in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. Otherwise, it does not edify. Even worse, it condemns. All things could be lawful, but not all things are profitable. Profitable for what? That's the question we should be asking. And I think what we see in 1 Corinthians is that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable for the mission of the kingdom of God and for the salvation of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the reason for all of this was quoted from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. This is the reason for all of this. From the roots of the trees to the dirt of the ground to the fruit of the vine and the beasts of the field to the birds of the heavens. All things are the Lord's and all that dwell therein. And the one who possesses a thing determines its purpose. Right? If you own something... You determine what you are going to do with it. You determine its purpose. If you own a chair, you could use it as a stool. You could use it as something else. You could use it as a table if you wanted. You determine the purpose of that particular chair. And since all things belong to God, our use of those gifts that he gives us should be for the purposes of God, how he has designed those good gifts. Now, how do we know what to use our gifts for? This is one of the purposes of the law. To fulfill the law, 
We must love the Lord with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We use things to love our God. We use things to love our neighbors. God is love, and all things that belong to him are to be used to his end, to love's end. And Paul makes this point in chapter 13. He says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and ha- but have not love, it profits me nothing. And even more than this, it profits those whom you feed and those whom you die for nothing. It profits them nothing as well. True service to God and neighbor includes love. What avails anything, Paul asks. Faith working through love is his answer. So our habits, our habits and our works should be marked first with love for God and love for neighbor. That is how we properly use our gifts from God. We use what God has made for the well-being of others. And all of this argumentation is, again, surrounded by the topic of meat sacrificed to idols. Right? Chapters 8 through 10, even getting into chapter 11, has this context behind it. Meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul is not going back on his instruction from previous verses here. It sounds like he may be. It sounds like he may be backtracking, but he's not. He's expounding upon the same point. The issue with eating meat sacrificed to idols is not the meat itself. It never was. It is the devotion associated with it and how that, how that devotion affects the eater and those around them. In other words, it's about conscience. Paul says that one should not go to the festivals and eat meat that they know are sacrificed to idols. But then he says here that if you go to the market, if you go to the market, do not ask whether or not the meat has been previously sacrificed. If you don't know about it, it's not going to hurt you, right? In this, in this situation, ignorance really is bliss. If you go to dinner at a pagan's At a pagan's house, your pagan neighbor, right, your newly converted Christian in Corinth, you've got neighbors and friends who are still in the in the old world, in the world of pagan worship. And you go over there for some for some dinner and drinks, and they tell you that this meat has been sacrificed to idols. Paul says, do not eat it. For their conscience sake, not yours. This is because the heart behind the eating is important. The food doesn't make you unclean. The idolatry makes you unclean. Our Lord Jesus said, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles man. All things are the Lord's. But again, if you go to dinner at your pagan neighbor's home, and they serve dinner and say, This meat was offered to mercury, you are to say, no thanks, I'll, skip, I'll, I'll go to drinks instead, right? You don't, you don't eat that because what you're saying to them is something that is contrary to your confession as a Christian. You affect their conscience. Paul doesn't have in mind here the individual Christian's conscience in that situation. He's not talking about one's own moral compass that determines what is right and wrong. He's talking about the conscience of those around you. He's talking about the self-awareness or confidence possessed by those around you. 
If a pagan sees you accept meat offered to idols, what does that say about the Christian faith to the pagan? That's the point he's making. It skews the exclusiveness of Christ and his dominion over all things, including the idols that they worship. Now, if a fellow Christian sees you doing this, sees you eating meat sacrificed to idols, they, they know that it's that. It says to the, to the Christian brother that he can unite himself to the worship of idols as well. It defiles the conscience of your Christian brother or sister. Now, the Jew would have had an especially hard time accepting this practice of eating meat offered in the marketplace. If we know anything about Jewish law, you have to prepare your meat in a particular way. Paul is also attacking this end of the issue. He's attacking the other end of the spectrum here. A Jew, in good conscience, could not eat meat from pagan markets because they did not kill the animal or prepare the meat according to Levitical custom. The meat wasn't kosher, right? So Paul is saying that they too can eat the meat and not be unclean as long as they don't know where the meat is coming from or if the meat was offered to any idol. In this case, Paul says, again, ignorance is bliss. This is not only a restriction of those who would like to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but it is also a freedom to the Jew to eat of meat offered in the marketplace. To rise, kill, and eat, as Peter was told. And this is because Christ has conquered. Idols are nothing because Christ has conquered them. Meat is of the Lord because he owns all things. He has made all things clean. But if one knows that the meat is offered to idols, it causes brothers to stumble. It causes pagans to be confused about the Christian witness. And it provokes Jews to anger. This is what Paul is addressing. Food is a blessing from God and a blessing for one another. If you know idols were associated, the food is tainted by that demonic fellowship and idolatry. And this idea of conscience is hard for us to understand today. It's, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. The modern understanding of conscience is skewed by our culture's hyper-individualism. All that matters is my conscience. Other people shouldn't be able to tell me what to do before God, right? You can't judge me. We may not eat meat sacrificed to idols, but certain things cause other brothers and sisters to stumble, which are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. There certainly are weaker and stronger brethren. There are those who need to mature in the faith and not take issue over everything, that another may do or may not do. But we are not to lord our liberty over others as well. We are not to use our liberty for the sake of ourselves alone, but for the sake of the brethren. And for Paul, it matters how you use the food, not the food itself. He says, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? If no one knows the origin of the food and one gives thanks to God alone for it, no one should have an issue with it. That's his point. The offense against a pagan, a Jew, or the church is the flaunting of one's liberty over the other, not the meat itself. 
If you know something is, is often used for the purpose or use of idolatry, that knowledge makes you responsible for your brother's conscience. We are bound together by the same spirit. We are united together by the same Lord. But if idolatry is not part of the, the equation, then we are to use those gifts for the glory of God and our neighbor, causing no offense to the weaker brethren. And this sort of selflessness is exhibited in Paul himself. Paul says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. So Paul pleases all men in all things by seeking their salvation in all things. That's his purpose. That is what is always in the back of his mind, the salvation of the brethren. He constantly thought about how his actions would affect those around him. Now, this doesn't mean that he was walking on eggshells. He was certainly confident in his work. He defends himself earlier in the chapter. He defends himself earlier in the book against criticisms and all of those things. He's confident in what he believes. But it does not mean, or, but it does mean, I should say, that he was intentionally, uh, intentionally focused on the salvation of others in all of his work. He knew who his audience was. He knew their weaknesses. And he knew their strengths. To the Jew, he was under the law. To the Greeks, he was under the law of Christ. He did all of this so that he might bring his friends to glory, to everlasting life. That they might be brought unto salvation in Jesus Christ and not return to the old world and the old idols. And this is ultimately, Paul's, Paul's imitation here is ultimately the imitation of Christ. We don't imitate Paul because Paul is our Savior or Paul is, uh, is just better than us. We imitate Paul because he imitates Christ. His life was an imitation of Christ's life. And not just his life, but his death. Christ's death, the cross of Christ, is the image of this kind of love that we should offer our neighbors. Our Lord Jesus endured the horrible death of the cross so that our conscience might be cleansed by his blood. All of his miracles, his healings and exorcisms were for the sake of those he helped. Right? For their conscience, that their conscience might be clean before God on the day of judgment. Jesus' life was a life that profited those around him. It was a life spent for the life of others. And we are to follow Jesus in that same life. The life of a Christian is a life of imitation, of imitating our Lord Jesus. We follow Jesus to the cross. We follow him in his faith unto the, unto the Father in heaven. We follow him to death and baptism and subsequent deaths of sufferings and temptations and trials. We follow him in giving ourselves for one another, bearing burdens with one another. Paul says later in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4, he says, We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We are carrying about the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 
For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. He goes on to say, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. He says, Paul, Paul is saying that his death, that his, his dying for them is life to them. And your lives are supposed to be the same. Your lives are meant to be imitations of Christ for your brothers and sisters around you. That the grace of God given to you may cause thanksgiving in the rest of the body of Christ. Whatever it is that you do, eating, drinking, learning, working, conversing, whatever it is, do all to the glory of God so that the life of Christ may be experienced in the whole body. That's what your liberty is for. Your liberty is for the good of others, for the life of the brethren. Now I realize that there may be some confusion on how to apply this particular passage to your life, and I'm not going to be able to solve all those confusions for you this morning. Especially in our modern context. How do we apply this? What are our meats sacrificed to idols? I'm not going to go into that. But what are the liberties that we might lord over others, knowing that it might cause substantial offenses in the church? Now those could be theological distinctives or political opinions. Those could be a lot of different things that could cause division. How many times have you seen brothers or sisters uh, severing relationships online, virtually, just completely being cut off from family or friends because of something they said online, some hot take they put on Twitter or some political post they put on Facebook, right? This is how fragile our relationships can be. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about theology, shouldn't, shouldn't talk about politics. Everything is the Lord's and all therein, right? But it sure does mean that we need to be aware of our audiences. We need to be aware of weaknesses. Now, we can think about it more, uh, more personally here in our church. How about homeschool curriculums or Christian school choices? Right? Do we look down on those who don't use Charlotte Mason or... Those who champion Logos Online or Veritas or Classical Conversations. Now these seem seem petty. They seem silly. We can laugh at them. But churches have split over pettier things. Right? Do not put it past men to make and serve petty idols. Israel bowed to a calf. We have our own petty idols. Do Do we impose standards... Of Christian living on others that the scriptures do not demand of us? That's a question that we should also ask ourselves from time to time. The point Paul is making here has to do with the edification of the body and our efforts to ensure that edification and that unity. We have a role in that. All things belong to God in heaven above and on the earth below. All things are his possession. And because of this, all that we do, all the things we own and possess, All of our works and education and all the things in our lives are to be for the purposes of God and the salvation of others. 
Again, this does not mean that we have to second-guess all of our actions. It does not mean that we must walk on eggshells around each other. It does not mean that we have to get approval from every Christian around us before doing anything. That's not what Paul is saying. We all know each other's buttons to some extent. We know how to push one another to some extent. So whatever you do, give thanks to God in doing those things. Mark your work with thanksgiving to God. And this is the primary way that we do not prick the consciences of others. We show joy and thanks in all that we do because we do it unto the Lord. Jesus offended a lot of people. He offended many with his actions, with his words. But everywhere he went, he gave thanks to his Father in heaven. Everywhere, everything he did, he did for the souls of others. There's a difference. He did not lord his liberty over others. So some ways in which we could shoehorn this, this potential danger starts with personal piety. It starts with praying for one another, seeking to help each other in their hurt and in their pain and in their, their distress or in their poverty, or whatever it may be, to help one another, and to give thanks to God in all of it. To devote our lives to the small deaths of using our liberty for others. Do not turn small matters into petty gods. Do not throw the unity of the body of Christ under the soul of your own liberty. In other words, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in all that you do. And do it for the Lord and his people. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 4. Let each of you look, look out not only for his own interests. But also the interests of others. And this is what the cross of Christ shows us. This is what the death of our Lord. Which Paul will bring us to in the next chapter. That is what that shows us. This is what that table in front of us shows us. Our life for others. Because Jesus gave his life for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.